I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and in other mediums. And today I have a guest on the show who's an artist working in another medium, children's books. Greg Paprocki has written and produced several books for Baby Lit on ABCs. ABC books like G is for Go-Go, A is for Adam, V is for Vittles. We are going to talk about those books and his work on Curious George. And Greg is also a commercial artist. We're going to talk a lot about his very important commercial work that I think you're going to really enjoy hearing about today. I will discuss with Greg his career path, how he got to where he is today, working on the books that he is. We're also going to talk about comic books and children's books. And in the Kicking Back with the Creator segment, I'll ask Greg the fun questions I ask all my guests. And bonus, there is a Creator's Corner segment in this episode as well. I have a brief conversation with Andrea Mute, who is the artist of Port of Earth, written by Zach Kaplan. Now this segment is generally for returning guests, and Andrea and I have had a discussion before which is coming your way, so stay tuned for more information on that. This episode is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop in Wilmington, Delaware at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. All right then, let's get to it. My interview with Greg Paprocki, artist of the ABC Baby Lit Books and Curious George, followed by my Creator Corner segment with Andrea Mute, artist of Port of Earth through Image Comics. Here now on Creator Talks. Greg, welcome to Creator Talks. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I appreciate you asking me to uh, to come on board. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I'm so excited to discuss your work. And let me share with you and with the audience how this came about. I'm in the local library with my son. He's my assistant program director now, apparently. He's two and a half years old. And they have a playroom for the kids in the library with all the children's books and little plastic ice cream scoops and cones so the kids can make sundaes and play around. Well, he goes and grabs a book for me to read to him because he likes to read a lot. And he's learning to recognize things and say words now, so it's a lot of fun. And he picks out one of your books. He picks out the Go-Go ABC book. And I'm a child of the 60s. I was born in the 60s. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah, let's read this. And I was like, oh, man, this is so great. And he enjoyed it. I have it now, and he read it last night, took it to bed. I took a picture of it, and I showed it to people at my local comic shop. And they're like, oh, wow, that is so cool. And they loved it. So I was like, we got to talk about this. And that is just the surface. As I dug in more, you've done so much. That is so incredible and so cool. I wanted to share it with the audience. So we're going to talk about the Baby Lit series later, and your current projects. But I want to get to know more about your origin story. What did you grow up reading, and what got you started drawing? Comic books is what uh, I was big on, like, Sergeant Rock. Anything, oh, military. Back in the day, I would get, I'd have 50 cents. I could walk from my house to, like, Hinky Dinky and buy a soda, a candy bar, and, like, a comic book. And and that was kind of where I started. I'd pick out pictures I liked, and I'd try to redraw them, and... I was pretty obsessed about it. Um, it was one of those things that once I started, I never shook it. Do you know in the back of comics, do you remember? I mean, did you look at comics back in the day? Oh, absolutely. I did the same thing. I would have my allowance, and I was like, well, for a dollar, I can get four comics at the time. So I know what you're talking about, so please share. I understand. I come from a, a small town in the Midwest. It's it's an industrial town. You know, we're not very sophisticated. It's working class people. You know, my dad worked a full-time job and two other jobs, and my mom worked in the factory. Well, in the comic book, they had where you draw the pirate or the turtle. I did that, and I mailed it in. And, you know, it was a few months later, uh, I, I think my parents were corresponding with with someone at the um, art instruction schools. What blows my mind is they had a guy driving through the Midwest to these little towns, and he was signing up people to do this stuff. And my folks, like I said, weren't very sophisticated, nor was I. And they signed me up for these art instruction schools when I was, you know, like in, oh, probably sixth or seventh grade. And I did that for like four years. And I kind of learned the basics of art through these correspondence courses. Kind of bizarre. Did you eventually go to 
an art school after grade school, after high school? or I went to the state university, uh, the university in Lincoln, and I had some really good instructors. But I got to tell you, most of the stuff that I figured out, I just figured out on my own. You know, in school, I studied for a fine arts degree. I tried to get into like the Art Institute of Chicago uh, on scholarship, but I didn't get that, which would have changed my, if I would have, I wouldn't have gotten to commercial art. It would have been more fine art. And, you know, you probably would have never saw a 1960s book of mine. But I went to the, the university and when I graduated, I got into advertising and I was a graphic designer and I would spend every waking moment outside of work drawing, trying to come up with like an art style. And once I kind of figured some stuff out, I went and I bought Publishing for Dummies, you know those dummies books? And <laughs> I basically just put together a children's book and I mailed it out to like five or six of the big publishers and just kept my fingers crossed. And I got rejection letters. I think all of them got rejected except for Scholastic. They accepted it. And uh, that was kind of how I fumbled into getting into children's books. It's all been just like a, a trial and error process. I, Like I said, we come from a small industrial town and no, I don't know anyone who's an artist and learning how to draw through comic books and buying publishing for dummies. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of how I figured it out. Now, at one point, weren't you an advertising art director? I was, yeah. I, um, I've always wanted to cover my bases job-wise with, you know, make sure I had an income. So I wanted to be an artist, but I knew, you know, who gets a job as an artist. So I applied for jobs as an art director and, you know, I got hired and it wasn't very fulfilling, you know, as like doing ads. And I would kind of become the, the default art guy if someone needed art for a project. But it, it wasn't fulfilling. And I eventually got fired from one job in Kansas City. And not because I wasn't a bad worker. I just, I don't know. I think I was kind of meant to work as a, a lone wolf. And I got along with my coworkers. But, you know, I'd go in and I'd work a long day. And I'm like, well, I was here at 7 in the morning. And I think I can leave work at 4.30 instead of 5 because I put in an hour more than everyone else. And it didn't work out in the corporate world. So I eventually got fired twice. <laughs> and on the second time, I got fired two weeks after 9-11 and nobody was hiring. And I just got to the point where I think I need to go to New York. I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska. I also had the book deal with Scholastic. I talked with one of the creative directors there. And I said, if I move out there, you think you guys can maybe give me some work. And, you know, there was no guarantees and I decided to go out there. When I went out there, I was going to try to get like a full-time job and do this on the side. And things kind of worked out where, you know, I went out there and people were kind of fleeing the city. I arrived in like November, you know, that's two months after the attacks and people were leaving and I was coming in. So, you know, for these publishers, they, they, they do enjoy working with people like locally, you know, it's easier for them to call you in their office and I kind of filled the void. Things kind of started blossoming. And also at this time, you know, it's it's funny because I, I talk about how I like, to, I, I like to cover my bases. But I also around that time when I was working as an art director, I met a photographer. He was shooting like a product shot for us, but he was also doing like stock art for stock photography. And so I got a hold of a stock agency, the largest one out there. And I got on gr on the ground floor with stock art, like illustration. It was just kind of getting on the scene. And that took off. I remember the first year I had, or maybe it was the second year, I, I probably had like 50 or 60 images and I made like $60,000 off these images. Wow. I know. And I was like, okay, my plan was just to go exclusively stock, but it's kind of like, you know, California in the gold rush. It's like back when it started in 1849, you could pick up gold. Two years later, you couldn't find it. You had a, you know, you had to blast them out. It was kind of like that. It was easy pickings, and then it just got so saturated that a few years later, I'd be lucky to make $1,000 a year on all the stock. I mean, the one good thing about the stock uh, art is my work was everywhere. I did stuff with Sobe, Pepsi, uh, Walmart, McDonald's, you name it. I was getting all these projects, and the style was completely different from what I'm doing now. I, I kind of had to reinvent myself a few years ago, but... Things just, you know, bumbling around. I, I wound up getting a really solid career. I can see why you'd have trouble working as an art director if you learned a lot of things on your own. You took the initiative to do it, and you learned more that way when you're under someone else. 
and things are very restrictive because I worked with an art designer at one time and it was frustrating for him because he had a lot of ideas and a huge amount of creativity and was very good but there was the corporate dictate this is the template and more and more he had less and less of a chance to be creative which is frustrating for an artist in any area and if you're coming in early you know most places are like that's cool you put in your time you got the job done that's all we care about but if a place is like mm, our culture is you have to be here until your boss leaves and some places are like that that is really hard especially for someone who is creative i have got a different process you know and when you're in that environment they want a real collaborative sit down and work with someone and you know you hash out the ideas but I don't know. I, it's like I've, I've got a different personality where I find it hard to work that way. Like when I bounce ideas off of people, for some reason, it doesn't feel like I'm being productive. I work better if I can sit down in a quiet room. You know, once the ideas roll, I can I mean, it's just it's like a waterfall. And then I, I gather up all the ideas and then I can sit down with somebody in the corporate office. If you do that, I think you're considered antisocial rather than that's just how you know people operate differently and that's kind of how I do so it wasn't a right fit you had worked in a corporate environment and it's good experience especially if you're going to try to go solo to at least know how things are structured before you get out and just try to do it on your own oh yeah it does definitely give you some very good tools and knowledge to work with you have to start somewhere but you will have a hard time really making it if you're doing it for someone else. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, there is some security with that, yes, but you're only going to go so far if you have certain things you want to accomplish. And I do recall back after 9-11 how it became very hard to find work because the economy, the global economy changed. Like I was working in a dot-com financing business and things changed dramatically after that and for a lot of people it was very hard a lot of startups began to fail so it was a very tough time and you, you came out all right I mean you've done really well and segueing to the baby lit books and publisher Gibbs Smith puts those out and that's how I first discovered your work as I mentioned in the beginning of the show and you started a whole series of this ABC type books in this style you're using now, Wild West, Medieval Europe, and Victorian. As I went through these, there was something for everyone almost. And these harken back to kind of a golden era or almost like the golden books of art. So how did you give birth to that? How did that whole run start? I have been fumbling around on I like trying to pitch stuff for years and I almost sold a cartoon concept to end them all in Germany a few years ago. And I'm always trying to invent something and and I've been re really close to like grasping the gold rings, but my fingertips kind of slip off. I created a book. It's a it was an animal book. These uh, raccoons that I mean it was really cute, but it was incredibly detailed and it was time consuming. I spent like an entire year on this book, and then I pitched it to all these publishers, and they all turned me down. And Scholastic, I cut my teeth with and gave him my first opportunity. I was talking to uh, the VPs there, and he just said, "Greg, it's too complicated. Just simplify it." And at that point, I was, you know, things were kind of with other projects were starting to slow down. And I had done a lot of fashion work. Like I did a ton of fashion stuff. As I was doing children's book, I also did fashion stuff. And I just was like, what am I going to do? And I went back to what I really like is, like you said, the golden books, all that old stuff that I, you know, from the 50s. I mean, I think the best time in art is from the late 40s to early 60s you know people were being influenced by all the impressionists or like picasso abstractions i should say and they were just doing wacky stuff that had this total this personality and it always spoke to me you know maybe maybe i was an artist back in the 50s you know it's weird because i have a brother that he's always been in the like big band music he was like my older brother and he was in the big band music in the 70s and 80s when new wave was popular and it's like it's just it's kind of weird but I, uh, I simplified the art and I made the Wild West book, which is basically, it's a two color, two color job. It's as simple as you can get. It's like, I went through like all popular mechanics and stuff like that. And I saw artwork that was about as simple as you can make it. And I just said, I'm going to do a book like this. I think I spent two weeks on it and I sent it out to publishers that I had worked with and it was picked up the same day I sent it out. And I was like, I spent a year on another book. And I couldn't sell it. I spent 
two weeks on this and it, I sold it the same day I sent it out. And um, I was like, I, I think I touched on probably where I need to be right now. It's funny. Sometimes we knock ourselves out doing something and it results in nothing. And then, you know, you spend a little bit of time like you did, but it was the right thing at the right time. You did it the right way, as they said at Scholastic Simplify, and that just hit. And there you go. You have a string of these now. Yeah, you know, uh, they've been a really wonderful partner. I mean, well, I'm also doing some STEM books with them, but it's like a series of, as well. But there's like 20-some books that I've done with them just a little over three years. I'm cranking them out as fast as, you know, as fast as I can. And they want them. It's fun. It's fulfilling. I was looking at some of your other commercial design work, and I wanted to talk about that because I'm sure my listeners would love to hear about this too because they probably have no idea that you mentioned doing work for other companies. You've worked for Hertz, Taco Bell, Colgate, Procter Gamble, GNC, and one that I thought was really cool was a Cheech and Chong beer label. Oh, yeah, yeah. They never actually used it, but my main motivation is beer. I would buy lists of agency list to, you know, where you can buy lists to contact people. And I, I spend, you know, hours a week, con you know, sending out emails and, and phone calls and you get all these clients that kind of pop up and they're all kind of random doing secret deodorant one week and the next week you're doing like a, a Cheech and Chong beer label. <laughs> it's, you know, you got to be pretty flexible. Um, it reminds me of like back in the sixties stage musicians for like the monkeys and stuff, you know, like they'd put up these albums and they would get these really versatile musicians to come in and do the actual music on these albums. And I'm kind of like that guy. It's like I can do a lot of stuff and people, you know, like Taco Bell. Uh, I did a lot of stuff for them for about three years. And, you know, Mattel did stuff with Barbie. And I'll get called in when they need me to just fill a void. And, uh, yeah, it, it's led to a lot of strange strange projects. You've even done work for Barbie, Mattel's Barbie, a 50th anniversary. I did a lot of stuff for them. I think I worked, it was about two to three years there where I I was working with them through uh, someone in Chicago. It was hard work. It was nice to see your stuff. You'd go to a store and you, you know, with my kids and you'd see like a Barbie package with my art on it. But uh, I got to say that was probably one of the more grueling clients and they sort of wore me down. And to the point where I had to stop doing it. But yeah, that was one of them. And you had mentioned earlier a book about raccoons, and that is The Marvelous Critterson's Road Trip to Grandma's. And your wife, Beth, she wrote that. And she's an actress, has done some commercial work. Is your wife also a freelance writer, or is this something that she focuses on with you, that you both do as a team? You know, uh, she used to work in like PR. I have the most respect for her because she she's smarter than me by far. And we're trying to figure out some stuff right now. You know, she's helped me on some books, but I, I would love to make more of it a partnership where it's like she's the writer and I'm the illustrator. And we're kind of working towards that. We have some some ideas uh, right now that are percolating up to this point. You know, we're raising kids. It's been pretty chaotic and things are starting to slow down. But that that is where I, I want to take it. She's got a good pulse on stuff. You know, I'm on deadline. You know, I've probably since October, you know, that's six months. I've, I've been averaging a book every two to three weeks and on such a frantic pace that, you know, I kind of forget what is out there. And she just has a natural ability to see what is marketable. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can kind of turn it into something a little bit more. I'm wondering how the two of you work, how you manage to get things done, the brainstorming, lobbing ideas when you have three kids, they're all at home? You know, the youngest one's uh, six now and the oldest one's 11. So things are starting to kind of level out. But it, I don't know. It's like I said, uh, the fear of poverty is a good motive, motivation. <laughs> so my dad worked three jobs, you know, and I've never really, you know, I'm got to remember in college, I'd go to Colorado and you'd see these guys who are my age working in like a, a ski, like a, a rental place. And you're like, God, I just wish I could do that. I want to spend a season doing nothing. And I, and I never really had that opportunity because I've always just been focusing on work and you know things haven't been easy but you make it happen you know well another book that you're working on and this has got to be a thrill curious george back when i was in new york a friend of mine uh they gave me an email at, or like an email address to a art director at howden mifflin who's the publisher of curious george and that person gave me an email address to someone else at howden mifflin every year in, in new york there's like a, a children's book um a big convention 
And I touched base with this guy who was the art director on, on George. And, and uh, I asked if I could meet him and I could show him some work. And he sat with me, you know, and he went through my art. He liked it. And I thought that was kind of it. And several months later, I got an email asking if I would test for Curious George. All the artwork, it's the old school charcoal uh, and watercolor, which in the past, I, I did a lot of painting, like acrylic oil. But I'm, I'm not very handy with watercolor and charcoal. I spent a couple days creating brand new scenes, like going through the old books and creating brand new scenes. I sent them off to them. I didn't think they were very good, but I guess I made the cut because that was early 2000s and I'm still doing it. Wow, that's quite a run. I just sent some art off yesterday for it. The one thing about doing something like that is is sort of le- legitimizes like what I do. You know, I can tell people that I'm, I'm doing, you know, the Gibbs Smith series, which is, it's a big deal. But when I mentioned that I do Curious George, it's sort of like, you know, everyone knows Curious George. So they're kind of like, okay, so you're, you're a real artist. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. They recognize the name it takes them back to their childhood. And they're like, oh, I've heard of that. I wonder if you would share how you prepared for the life of a freelancer. Cause you took a stab at it, took a chance at it. It's worked out, but you didn't just let it all happen while you were working. You were making preparations for that. You were building your portfolio. So tell me the steps you took to make sure that you would have a shot at being successful as you are now as a freelancer. You know, you're talking about the portfolio. That was uh, that was it. Once things get rolling, you got to work on the business side, you know, the accounting and all the stuff that goes along with that invoicing and making. I made a corporation, but you have to have the work. And I'm telling you, I sacrificed. I had a lot of fun in college, but once I graduated college and, you know, I had a job, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. It was all about creating something. And so I spent every night from almost the time I got home from work till I went to bed and on the weekends just creating artwork. On one hand, I feel like I might have missed out on a little bit of life. I still kind of operate that way. I'm, I'm, I got to cut back a little bit just because. I've got kids and I want to enjoy my kids. It's just a lot of work. Well, that's the output. That's the production end of it. That's actually getting things physically ready and getting the business end done. Now, there's other things you have to do to stay focused, energized, centered. And I was wondering if you talk about that. You do some things I can relate to. A little meditation, exercise. I did Kung Fu for a few years and I got into like meditation and and all that stuff. And I, I still do it. I, I've been kind of lax on it. But I exercise right next to my computer. I have a stationary bike. I'm a little under the weather weather this week, but I get on my bike, bike for 20 minutes at lunch, and then I I work out. Um, I used to be a wrestler. So at one point in my life, I was really fit and I was really lean. I try to maintain it. And my wife, she's like a fitness fanatic. So I got (laughs) to... I got to keep it up. Right. I'm always curious about what's out there. Sometimes I'll, I'll get on YouTube and I'll look at old old commercials, the 50s old animated commercials, and or even old cartoons, Warner Brothers. And you know, I've actually been watching a lot of Three Stooges just to kind of get like some slapstick stuff figured out. It sort of gets things percolating and and gets the ideas flowing. And one thing I I need to cut back on is like oh the last few years things have been kind of just politics. People are getting it's like I'm trying to cut out everything that's not necessary anymore and just kind of focus on being happy, being focused on my art and kind of letting all the stuff that's kind of not important disappear because I feel like a lot of energy has been wasted lately and and I need as much energy as I can. There's a lot of negativity out there and you look at politics and there's important things that have to get done and they are serious, they are important, but at the same time, if we spend too much time on that, it brings you down and you need something to get yourself energized and feel optimistic and Look at the actually the more important things in life, you know, like the things that are going to really matter to you that's going to make a difference in your life, something constructive. I stay away from a lot of negative stuff because it just doesn't help. I mean, unless it's to move forward and make some kind of change, are you just listening to the negativity and chiming in for entertainment's sake, which doesn't really accomplish anything? You're dead on. Um, you got my point exactly. And I, yeah, I couldn't state it any better than what you just said. And another thing you said you do is you trust your gut. My first gut instinct is usually the right one, especially the one that says, don't do that. Don't say that. <laughs> my gut's telling me, shut up. And it's right. Do you have any examples of when you trust your gut for art, business, whatever? I was working with a children's museum about doing it. Oh, a book. It was like a fairy tale book that went along with with an exhibit. And a lot of places have artists that work internally. And so they kind of come up with stuff and I'll get asked to give my own take on it. But I knew it wasn't the right fit just because the art was more complicated than what I do. And, and I, I agree to do it because 
I've met these people before. They're really nice. And I tried and I tried and I couldn't get it done. And they came back and asked me to do it again. And I knew it wasn't going to work. And once again, I spent days on it and it wasn't happening. And it just kind of reinforced that if you have like a gnawing feeling that this isn't it because, you know, just don't do it. Otherwise, it seemed like I waste a lot of time. And I have a hard time saying no. I'm getting better at it. But almost every time I think a project's going to turn out bad and I say yes, it turns out bad. So I rely on my, my gut quite a bit. Even now, I let projects happen that I probably shouldn't have. All this stuff with Gib Smith, it's like they're kind of weird. Like, you know, they're they're fun and they're kind of a throwback to, you know, when we were young. You know, and there's a lot of retro stuff out there, but every page of the alphabet it can be any genre it can be any place in, in time or whatever any any look and i just say this is going to be kind of fun you know it's it's not really something that you see out there that anyone else is doing i'm just going to do it and you know what it's kind of paying off you know people see it and like you said there's something in there for everybody i don't do art to please everybody but i do so much that it winds up pleasing most people going back in the day and being younger and you touched on comics and a lot of my guests work in comics, artists, writers that I have on the show. You mentioned Sergeant Rock. That's something you picked up. What else did you like to read? I would bike down to the library and I would pick up sci-fi stuff, like just weird 1970s art sci-fi. Though I'm not really a big sci-fi guy, I used to really enjoy the artwork because there was so much weird details in it. That's one of them. It was pretty much comics. I, I still have a chest in my closet here with all the comics I had when I was a kid, you know, stuffed in there. And they're pretty well read, but um, I still don't read that much today, which is maybe a flaw. But um, I love visual stuff, and the comics was was the top. But I also liked um, anything. I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but anything World War II, I was really in the the military stuff. I mean, I'm not like that anymore. But when I was a kid, that was it. You know, I had the little Green Army guys. You know, my mom would go to garage sales, and she would buy those things by like the garbage bag full. I was a little weird, I guess. I was really into army toys and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I was just sit and uh, just draw little army scenes all night long, you know, when I was four or five years old. And I still have them all. Every drawing that I've created, I've kept somewhere. So they're all some someplace well, in storage. That's funny. I've been digging through my storage that I've kept things for decades and I had to go through stuff to pare it down because there's just too much stuff in the house. I mean, you understand three kids, they got their stuff. My wife has her stuff. I have too much stuff. So I had to go through things and I found old things that I drew when I was little. They're not good. No, but I mean, I still have them. <laughs> That's fun though. I mean, um, I put a date and age even when I was like five. So I mean, it's fun to go through that and say, boy, I was I was kind of weird at that age. <laughs> That's what I was into. <laughs> I guess I was doing like commercial art. Like I had uh, a Pep Boys comic book that I was drawing with my cousin <laughs> and a lot of other things I drew. And I had to part with some of my toys, but I gave them to a family member. I couldn't give my 70s G.I. Joes away just like randomly. They had to go someplace special because... I had those for so many years, but some things I did keep, and I don't know if you remember these, but you know, we talked about the retro art, and I have the old Matt Mason astronauts. Oh, the gosh. Bendy rubber. Yeah, I got four of them. Yeah. I'm like, I got to keep these. And these little plastic stand up astronauts. They're just like blue plastic, red plastic, but they're just so cool looking with the Mercury capsule type helmets, you know, that kind of era of astronaut. Yeah. You, I think you bought them in a capsule. I remember going to the yes. dime store and you'd buy them in a capsule and you'd, you'd open it up and dump them out. Yeah, that, I mean, I still have boxes of that stuff. My oldest brother was, he was a little uh, sadistic. He would kind of torture me by throwing away my toys. It's its a long thing. I probably need therapy for it. <laughs> but uh, what he didn't throw away, I still have. But um, it's really fun. I still have like the G.I. Joe dolls, like you mentioned. I get a real nostalgic when I, you know, when I sit down and, I, I don't go through them very often, but if I do, it, it does bring back a lot of really fond memories. I think kids today still like them. Although my son, two and a half, doesn't realize what some of this stuff is when he looked at your book, the GoGo ABC book, and there was the space capsule. And I was, that's so cool. He's like, broken. I said, no, no, that's a space capsule. That's what they used to use to send people into space. And actually, we're getting back to now with SpaceX. <laughs> that is so good. Well, I was trying to explain to my eight-year-old when I was a kid, there was no internet. 
and there was no cell phones. That was kind of mind-blowing for her. In some ways, it wasn't that long ago. It's amazing how quickly things have changed. I mean, when I was little, there were records, 45s, and then there were CDs, and now they've become passe. It's streaming. It's digital. So it's just changed so quickly. Well, you think about the technology, how quickly it's changed. Look what's happened in the past 100 years compared to the past 1,000 years. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear that your son grabbed that book. I try to show him those books and they don't care. So I'm glad someone else, you know, someone cares. He likes that. He is into books about trucks, airplanes. He's very boy, you know, in that sense that he likes mechanical things. Even my older son, who's now seven, used to like to take things apart and figure them out. He's like, what makes an iPhone work? Now, he didn't take one apart, but he just wants to know. They just love that stuff. And I think for older people, there is some comfort and nostalgia in that retro look in books, those things, because as I said, things are changing so quickly. To be able to step back a little bit and recapture some of that and just freeze time for a bit is really helpful to coping in modern society. It, it is. And you know, uh, my kids, they're pretty much glued to their one of their phones or their iPads. And it makes me sad. I would like to have them crack open a book and just, you know, look at the pictures and and copy the drawings, you know, just something that actually works their brain rather than, you know, having your brain entertained. Well, we impose story time at a certain point of the evening. All of us are reading. We're not watching television. We're not looking at screens. That way, it helps my son to settle down the older one and get ready for bed rather than staring at a screen, which can disturb your ability to fall asleep. He has reading for school, and then we have our own books we want to read, so we make that time, which I think helps. I'm going to have you talk to my daughter, Chris. I've been telling you <laughs> that. And she, my daughter goes to bed with her phone on her pillow or next to the bed, and she gets insomnia, and it's. I've tried to explain it, and she needs to talk to someone who isn't her father. <laughs> well, that's true. They won't listen to their parents. They'll listen to somebody else. With my son, he's seven. My wife said, look, let's just take the tablet away at a certain point. And give, we give him notice. It's like, okay, you've got 30 minutes left. Okay, 15 minutes. So wrap up what you're doing. So it's not like a surprise. It's like, okay, now put this away for the night. We'll charge it. We give him time to enjoy it. But then, okay, he knows it's going to end and he has to go on to something else. Like last night he was drawing. Great. And I stay up and draw. I said, man, you can stay up and draw all you want. Go to sleep when you have to. But I don't mind if you read a book or you're drawing because you're doing something. And that will help him get sleepy too, more so than a tablet. But it's great that he's actually doing something, creating something, learning something. Uh, you think he's going to be an artist? I don't know. I mean, he's – I wouldn't stop him. I hope so. But he can be whatever he wants. But he does have some knack for it, more so than I did at his age. So maybe yeah. he will be, you know, because I think artists – writers they have some natural inborn talent that gives them that edge you know i mean you have to develop it you know that they everyone knows that you have to work to develop it but you have to have that spark in you it doesn't oh i'm sorry uh well you're talking about like the comic book artists mm -hmm. now that is they're like the navy seals of, of artists i mean those guys are really tough i mean i don't know how, how someone can crank out comic books or you know like comic strips that's so much work it's a lonely life apparently you know they spend hours and hours all hours working on their stuff and not getting out as much as they'd want to you know and that's kind of how I'm, I'm working and then but i'm like okay at the end of the day or in any of your life when your your career's done and you're in an old folks home your retirement home you're like god i sure wasted a lot of time just <laughs> working on art I don't know. I, I wish there was a roadmap on the right way to work and the right way to live your life that is fulfilling and, and successful as well. Well, we're all trying to figure that out. And I think you figured it out, at least for yourself, because it's different for each person. And at least you can say at the end of your life, I produced all this art. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather say that than, wow, I, I shouldn't have watched so much television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should have done something with my life. Yeah. You know, there's... There's quite a bit to that, that's for sure. Well, now we'll get to the segment called Kicking Back with the Creator. And I feel like we've been doing it the whole time. But these are questions I ask all my guests just to learn more about you as an individual. Nothing tricky, nothing difficult. And we've talked about some of it already. When you're not working, what do you like to do, Greg, for rest and relaxation? I don't have a whole lot of downtime. But, you know, if I go for a run... Like running is, I mean, I don't go more than, you know, three, four miles at a time, but running is, is the best. And if I'm not running, I'm going to Chinese buffet with one of my friends. <laughs> so it's either one or the other. 
or you, you know. run to a Chinese buffet. <laughs> yeah, then I can. I've worked off all my guilt. It's been tough lately. I I've worked every single day since uh, the end of September. You know, I worked through Christmas, worked through uh, New Year's, my kids' birthdays, just because I've had so many deadlines. So I'm actually been really trying to figure out what to do. My wife has got, she's very balanced. She plays soccer. She does volleyball. Me and her actually, well, we go biking, you know, mountain biking. I need to work on that because I'm not, I'm kind of out of whack right now, but I guess exercise would probably be the best thing to kind of get me, get me back to center when I needed it. Do you find as I do when you're exercising, since the blood is flowing, getting more oxygen, ideas pop into your head? They do. And the problem is that sometimes if I go for a run, the idea is, at the time sound really good. And then when I sit down to try to work them out, they don't, they don't sound as good anymore. But uh, yeah, it is true. Uh, when I'm moving, it does stimulate everything. And my problem is I, I don't, I've been kind of nailed to my chair a lot for the last few months. Well, if the ideas don't come out good, you're probably doing anaerobic exercise, not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> Do more aerobic. <laughs> You know, if the idea just flows, you know it's good. Like today, I'm doing some character designs for a major publisher, but it's it's like the Jungle Book, and I'm coming. I'm trying to do character. Uh, like there's so, there's all these animals and the little boy, and some of the stuff will come out within like five minutes. I'll have the tiger, and it's perfect, and then I'll spend you know an hour or two trying to do a wolf, and it just it's not there. And you just you can tell on the final art if it just flows, it's there, and if you have to labor over it it's just not happening you know speaking of art thinking back to when you were in middle school what posters and pictures did you have on the bedroom wall i was in the rock like hair bands so there would have been like rat or autograph it was the 80s stuff like that was kind of what i was into you know eddie from iron maiden it sounds kind of silly now as an adult but that was kind of cool and i had my older bro- I, well i had two older brothers the one who was in the big band music he was gone by the time I, w- I got there. But the next brother, he was kind of like my idol, and he was into like Billy Squire and, and all that kind of rock stuff, which passed down to me. So I was kind of probably into that. It's not silly. I'm sitting here wearing a Metallica t-shirt. Get out of here. That 20-year-olds walk up to me and say, hey, that's cool. Because <laughs> I guess it's retro. <laughs> that's the high point of the day, hearing that. <laughs> if you were stuck on a deserted island, and you can only have one book. And this is for pleasure. This isn't a survival guide. Just something you want to pass the time, something that will entertain you. What would that one book be? Oh, my gosh. It would probably be a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be torture. <laughs> I am a book nut. I, I mean, I don't read a lot, but I really love books. And I go through different phases. So it'd probably a book on, like, a history of of artwork, you know, like, well, back when I was a designer, I would buy like histories of poster designs, you know, from the Bauhaus up to the 60s and stuff. And, you know, it would probably be a book on maybe uh, UPA artwork, you know, uh, United Artists from the 60s. If I had a book like that, I'd probably go through it. You know, you always find something hidden. Yeah, that's a good one. I've never had that answer before. This is another hypothetical. Let's say a company says, Greg, we're going to make an action figure of you. What would be your accessory? Oh, my God. I'd probably have a giant hand holding a pencil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, like, my eyes might be kind of bright red from staring um, with some sort of laser beam coming out of them. I'm trying to think of what might be an actually, actually a cool accessory. Um, I would like something that, like a dome you could put on someone for truth and justice. The one thing I've learned, you know, with my, like, business is, is – I've been pretty lucky to deal with like honest people, but every now and then you, you get into a situation where someone uh, isn't quite on the level. So maybe if I had something that uh, where I knew I was dealing with, like I could read people's mind and, and make sure that they weren't trying to take advantage of me, that'd be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a useful power. When you're resting and relaxing, what is your beverage of choice? Uh, tea. I, I drink tea. I mean, uh, every now and then I'll, I'll crack open a, a soda. Like a, if I'm really chilling out, I'll drink a beer. I don't really enjoy wine. Oh, and I, I don't drink a lot of heavy alcohol, but you know, I'm kind of a beer guy. I love wine, but wine stains because I like red. So that's a real problem. <laughs> yeah. No, my, my wife, she drinks a lot of wine. Uh, I don't think she's got a problem yet. She drinks a lot of wine. <laughs> People say, what's your favorite kind of wine? I say boxed. <laughs> yes. We always have a box of, of wine in the house. Economical and stays fresh. Yes, it tastes good. At least that's what I've been told. <laughs> 
Now, thinking back to a memorable or favorite birthday, it doesn't have to be a good one, but one that stands out in your mind, what was that birthday? Our kids have birthdays, like every year they have a special birthday. When I was growing up, it sounds a little depressing, but you know, my mom would just make a, she'd buy a box of cake mix. She'd make the cake and you know, I'd have a present, but I never had a party. It might've been a different era when I was a kid. It's different than it is now for sure, but I guess just being happy with a, like a little uh, a box cake in a pan with some frosting and sprinkles and and maybe uh, like a toy. Does that sound depressing? No, no, no. We don't go nuts with our kids. We have a pool party, the neighborhood pool, but we don't go bananas. We don't have like tons of stuff. I mean, he gets a few toys. He's happy with them and likes to see his friends more than anything else. We do stuff for our kids, but thinking of my own birthday parties, there was never... Nothing too fancy. Calling back to what we talked about earlier, the G is for Go-Go book, and I thought about the 60s. Did you have, and if you did, what was your favorite 1960s TV show? I was born in 72, but I guess the 1960s would probably have been like the Munsters. Okay. My wife is a big Monkees fan. Like, she loves the Monkees. Me too. Do you? Oh, yes. They were a big influence on the Beatles. <laughs> That joke always, uh, that always goes over. <laughs> I did see them, and I've mentioned this before in the show, so people are probably like, Chris, shut up. But I did see them back in the 80s, you know, when they were doing like a reunion tour, not with Mike. Mike was never there, but yeah, uh, when they had their Greatest Hits album come out, I saw them. Did you see their most recent albums, like when they had their 50th anniversary album come out? I don't think so. I'd have to, I'll ask my wife because she... Seriously, as a nut for these guys. We saw Davy Jones once. He wasn't with the rest of the crew, but we saw him once. But no, I'll, I'll ask her about that. Ask her about that because it has that kind of neat pop art, 60s art, all over it. All those 60 callback things. And it's just a lot of contemporary writers. And it's a really good album, if you like The Monkees. It has some classic stuff on there that hasn't been heard before. And a lot of new songs, and it really is impressive. And they did a Christmas album just this past Christmas, which is also really, really good. So if she's into the monkeys, I think she'd really like this. I'll turn her on to that. That sounds that sounds really fun. Thinking back to childhood, did you have a favorite board book? Like the ones you put out now. I didn't have a board book, but I did have a pop-up book. It's a super pickle book. And I it, it sounds so dumb. It was a pop-up book of a pickle. And I loved that. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And I wish I still had it. The thing is, when you look at those things years later, you're usually kind of disappointed because the artwork is never as as nice as you remember. Right. Yeah. But but yeah, Super Pickle. I'm not sure if it was called that, but it was a pickle with a cape. That That was it. I really don't remember many of them. But my parents kept a lot of them. And recently they said, here, you want this stuff? And I was like, well, yeah. And I remember one in particular was the Runaway Pancake. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Have you heard of that? No, but it's funny because me and my wife are talking about a book right now about a pancake. We're trying to come up with an idea, and a pancake is part of it. So I'll jot down Runaway Pancake. I'll have to see if that's one of the ones I brought home from my parents' house because I brought a bunch. I haven't done it for a while because I have so many books, but thrift store shopping, dropping in and, and finding, uh, you know. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it is. A final question. Is there anything that you're working on now that we should look out for in the near future. Like I said, I'm doing a series of classic books, Jungle Book, Wizard of Oz. It's going to be a big deal when it, when they come out. And so I, I can't talk about the publisher, but maybe a year and a half from now, they'll all be done and it'll be really nice. Well, this is the warm up for everybody so they can get on board, see your work, especially if they have kids, they're going to love this. And hey, even if they were kids, they want to see this stuff. I will have links to your information in the show notes and on the landing page for the podcast. I will also have some pictures of your art that you've shared with me so that everyone can see how incredible it is and why it caught my attention and the attention and good taste of my two-and-a-half-year-old Declan. I want to have you back when these other books come out so we can talk about them. And it's been an absolute delight, Greg, having you on the show today. And I'm so glad that my son picked out your book and we had this conversation. Thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm flattered that you asked me to come on. And you're a really good interviewer, and I enjoyed my time. Thank you. And now, on to my interview with Andrea Mute, artist of Port of Earth, written by Zach Kaplan, published through Image Comics. 
Now, Andrea is originally from Italy, and in our initial interview, which is actually coming up next week, we talked about my grandfather, who was also from Italy, and we pick up our conversation talking about my grandfather. Andrea, welcome to Creator Corner. Hello, guys. Thank you so much. We've already spoken before, but that interview is coming up in about a week. This week, what we're going to talk about is Port of Earth. Now, Andrea, last time we talked, though, we discussed coming from Italy, now in Florida, and I mentioned... My grandfather was from Italy, and I was going through my house, and I was cleaning out some stuff, and I found his obit. And it turns out he was born on Christmas Day in 1907. He came here two years later, but where he came from was Calabria, if I said that right? Calabria, yeah. Calabria, near the boot. Southern, yeah. Yes, near yeah, the, the boot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he worked for the WPA during the Depression, uh, also served in the National Guard, and he loved to... Swing dance, ballroom dance, mm -hmm. and play bocce. Ooh. And when he was retired and uh, at a senior center, he kept score for the men's volleyball team. So that's what he did to pass the time. Mm. But he was a very active guy. Fantastic. What's his last name? My grandfather's last name, that's on my mother's side, is DeMacy. Right. It's amazing. It's a parent, you know, relatives in some way. It's important. Salvador DeMacy. And my middle name is Samuel after Sam. My grandfather. So. Sam. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Daniel, Italian is everywhere. <laughs> you know, we spread the seeds. <laughs> Congratulations. Have you been in Calabria, Italy? No, no, I have never been to Italy. I haven't even been to Europe. Oh, yes, you have. It's a beautiful region. It's a really beautiful region. Maybe someday. I have so many places I need to go. But where we're going to go now is Port of Earth. You are working with Zach Kaplan, the great Zach Kaplan. I had him on the show when he was just starting out doing Eclipse through Top Cow. And he's taken off like a shot. He's got that. And now he has Port of Earth. And you're working with him as the artist on Port of Earth that is coming back after a hiatus for a while. Now we're in the next arc of the book coming out number nine on 417. Now I'm just wondering, how did Zach get in touch with you to be the artist on Port of Earth. Top Cow Production called me. I was at the end of the second season of Rebels from Dark Horse and asked me if I was available to do uh, new science fiction stuff together. And I was uh, uh, on Rebels and just uh, finished uh, Prometheus with Dark So science fiction for me is uh, familiar, very familiar. And uh, when I read the uh, the pitch about Port of Earth and meet Jack by co-phone call. Wow, it's uh, the first love, you know. It's uh, high-fitting, the first call, the first vibes. Uh, and uh, the concert was very cool, very visual, very moody, and full of details that I really, really love. So I was super in, in a quick. So really, it's unexpected, uh, but uh, I was really uh, happy because Port of Earth for me, is a kind of summary of all what I love: action, aliens, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, creators, uh, handbent vibes, uh, good characters, very good characters, very deep. Not the classic hero with the gun, but the classic woman with the boobs uh, or something. So, uh, was a really interesting. And the second season gonna be really blasting, very changing, very particular, very full of new happenings. And of course, there was the aliens. Uh, that are not here for the invasion, but for, for business. So it's uh, a kind of metaphor about the real world, no? The immigration from the, from Africa, from South America, or whatever, and uh, in the other countries, is pretty much the same, or the conquistadores, no? In America, Spain, and is, I think it's the history, the, the past and the future could be not very different, could be, my feeling. So it's amazing stuff for me. Can you tell us a bit about this next arc? Any sneak peek or a couple of tidbits you can throw us about what we can expect to see? Yeah, so I have a microchip in my neck, so if I do some spoilers, I'm going to get killed in, in a bit, so I can... <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, anyway, thank you. No, the next arc is really changing because it, the first arc... The first thing is about two main characters, right? Uh, two men, and it could be at the first look uh, the classic duo, like a little weapon of the good, the bad, and the ugly guy. Very one, much more you know aggressive. The other one more reflexive. But um, when the happenings with the the events of the story, their lives totally change. And uh, in the next arc, we can see we will see new guy, new rice, a new Mac country, because uh, the 
you know, we left them in prison because they had action in the port because they want to kill the the killer alien. But now something is changing and there's a kind of revolution in the world. You remember during the Vietnam War, the streets uh, for the right of the, the left people, the right for the Vietnamese. Now it's for the right of the human being and for the right of the alien. So it's, it's a clash of cultures. But the point is, the clash is that the human being is a human being. But the alien is dozens of different races. So it's not the same one alien against us or that want to talk with us, but dozens of different areas with different thoughts. Make sense? So it's really a big challenge. In all that, there is, you know, a kind of spy story, there's a kind of uh, action, and new characters, new aliens, a new great alien that seems uh, so bad, but maybe not, or maybe yes, and, uh, and, uh, and the country is not really a classic uh, alien stuff with alien-like, you know, Star Wars or something, but it's very deep, it's very psychological and social. Part of it could be a social experience, experiment, and it's, of course, it's it remains very fine, very visual, very moody. A lot of new environment, new aliens places. Uh, of course, me and Zach are super nerd about Star Wars and whatever is shine fiction. So we can see really great. We can see homage to the best uh, movies. Uh, we're trying to do our best to, to be funny, but at the same time to be reflexive. No, we are not teachers, but here and there, something to... Hmm, Think about that. Okay, so we're going to have an expanded universe with new characters, but we're going to focus in on the sociological differences between the humans and the aliens and the impact that has. Ah, very interesting. This is quite a different story for you to illustrate. Like as you said earlier, you had worked on Rebels, and next week we're going to talk about D-Day coming up. What drew you to this project about sci-fi? I guess, I mean, you are drawing a lot of humans, but there are some pretty wacky aliens in there. So what drew you into it? That's very different for you? In 27 years, 28 years in, the, in that field, I held different stories with different writers, of course, and with different uh, kind of gender, right? History, science fiction, thriller, uh, horror, etc. So, aliens are totally unknown. So, I can do everything, and okay, it's an alien, because I have no, what they say, UFO, okay, but uh, I have no a real reference. So, uh, for example, uh, very often we have an environment or inside of the ship, uh, imagine something technological, right? But it's not correct. For example, it's a very good point, the good movie, The Arrival. You know, the aliens are a kind of uh, squiddy, very weird, but high-level technology is the same here. Because it's aliens, high technology, but it's not like the human with two arms, two legs or something. could be a real blob. Make sense? So I was really free to imagine whatever I want. And it was good because, you know, no limit. Of course, if I need to, to have a fight, could be not like mosquitoes, but to have a huge alien. But again, I will be really, really free to, to imagine. So the imagination is uh, the best way. The imagination was my queen, no? so my, my, my goal. And for a drawer, whatever, it's amazing. So, so, you know, get free to do something. So uh, I think it's a good point to, to realize, to create something different, something we call, for example, not the classic gray alien, but it could be yellow, could be pink or white or something. So uh, it could be interesting. And of course, Star Wars or reference or imagination, Star Trek or whatever. But very often I use the, the nature. Living in Florida, for example, we see can very swear <laughs> fishes or something in mean, the, the deep, the beyond. So I tried to get inspiration from the nature. So spiders for the, the, the insects and make it something mixture now mixed up and uh, it's fun it's a, you know it's, it's a paradise for the door so your imagination can run wild and nobody can say andrea you're wrong you can't be wrong yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly it's just amazing you know i can do whatever you want or whatever you want it's not really clear but i think when you are free to do something is you're telling something it's not that that drawing something, but you are telling something with a strange alien. For example, if you have an alien doctor, for example, scientist, I am free to imagine something, but with the, the goal that I have to look like a scientist. So, you know, but it's a really, really good challenge. You know what's really exciting? The book in and of itself, the series is great, but I understand 
that it's been optioned by Amazon for a potential series. And they've already, I believe, is in development Eclipse on Amazon. So now this is in queue as well. They're snatching up on that IP. They know this stuff's a hit. Oh, it's surprising, you know, because when you see your your, your work in that TV show or the previous stuff, well, that's, uh, I had no word about that. But I am still remain very concrete, very on the ground, because uh, I am so excited. Zach is so excited. But for the first step, we have to do great in the bookstores, do great page by page to keep the reader and uh, involve much more readers uh, with our stories, our fantastic adventure together. Because, first of all, we are storytellers. And all rest are going to be amazing and I hope to deserve that with Zach with Top Cow it's a great team the editorial team is really really great it's a kind of family but uh, when you work with with people like, like like them it seems very easy to work because you share the same passion you share the same goal you share the same uh, you still remain the uh, with the sense of wonder of the comics books have to do. So uh, no big heads, no I'm the king, no, 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 it's bullshit. Uh, still remain first readers. You know? <laughs> I, I really love that way because we are comic artists, we're comic creators, so we are already blessed, so all the rest could be amazing, much more, but okay. It's all icing on the cake, if it happens. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Since now you're working on this sci-fi series, amongst other things, of course, and we'll talk about those next week, what I was wondering is, what is your favorite sci-fi film? What is the one that you think hits all the notes of a good sci-fi? Oh, this is a very easy, easy question. Star Wars, for me, is the best. It's totally the best. You know, it's, 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 easy, it's easy answer. You know, I'm a comic artist, so whatever. But, <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, well, what next? <laughs> but, no, I grew up with the Star Wars, for me. It was very young. No. And for me, Star Wars, uh, space opera, it's, uh, wow, it's, it's great. Or Star Trek too, the TV shows in it too, and Alien, Blade Runner, oh, and all the rest. But I'm very fan of new modern science fiction stuff, like Colony, for example, it's a very cool one. Sir. And the, the Expanse, it's a very interesting stuff. And science fiction in the last years, so maybe, you know, it's not very often you see TV shows about science fiction or, or something. Because, you know, the 70s was very, very, you know, hype, but now we less. So we return back in science fiction. But I think that the imaginary, for me, the science fiction is really huge because science fiction, is a science fiction with the ships, alien monsters, maybe, but is a thriller, a horror. It's like a Batman, right? So it's a summarize of everything, but with the ships. So we can tell a love story, you can tell a horror story, you can tell a thriller story, the, the police story, but with technology, with aliens and stuff. So it's really complete, in my view. For people who like sci-fi, fans of Star Wars, but if you're also a fan of and have seen movies like District 9, Arrival that you had mentioned earlier. Oh yes, 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 totally. Yes, the Arrival. This is nine years. Wow, I'm really, really. Uh, fan fiction for me is a really a good point in inspiration. Inspiration because it's far from the reality. At the same time, it's the reality because, or you have all the story in the UNV. For them, Predator, for example, is a science fiction, but just with an alien, and uh, but it's very particular because it's a war movie, for example, but with a very iconic. And they created an unforgettable monster. So it's more than enough. And uh, I can say you have a long list of movies ooh, for, for hours. It's <laughs> pretty crazy. All the science fiction for Space 199, do you remember? Oh, yeah. So the, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, I was very young, but wow, it's a very imagination full of ideas. A bit weird with the special effects of the thing, science fiction, but it's about monsters. So, Wow. So for fans of those movies, Port of Earth is very much like a District 9 arrival type. It's much more deeper than that. It's not just about the monsters, but that's a big part of it. But it's about the sociology between the monsters and the humans and how it ties to our own society and our own history. So very interesting book, wonderfully illustrated. It's back starting April 17th. Pop by your local comic shop 
and make sure you get your copy. Andrea, thanks so much for coming into Creator Quarter and catching us up on Port of Earth. Oh, thank you, Tiflis. Very, very appreciated. I hope to deserve all the attention. I do my best for readers and for the sci-fi. Thank you so much. And return here next week where my guest will be Andre Mute again, where we have my full interview about his next book, D-Day, coming out through DC Comics in May. And we also ask all the fun questions I ask my guests in Kicking Back with the Creator segment. The usual business this show is out every Thursday. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Amazon voice-enabled devices, and now on Spotify. If you want to reach me directly, you can contact me through my email address, contact at creatortalks.com, or follow me on social media. That is Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at creatortalkspod. That's at creatortalkspod. If you have a chance, please leave a review or star rating on iTunes. It goes a long way to helping the show. And also review the other podcasts you listen to. We really appreciate your support. So join me next week. My guest will be Andrea Mute. And thank you for listening this week to Greg Paparaki and a taste of what is to come next week. Thank you so much. Be good to one another. Enjoy your comic books this week. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.